Well, good morning again, everyone. My name is Kevin Sanders, and I have the great joy to serve as lead pastor here. And it is a true joy. And uh, there's so many things throughout my week that, that fills me up with this role, but chief among them and forever will be right here, right now, being with you all as we praise God, receive from God, transform from God, and are sent out by God. And so today we have a message that I think is going to connect with several of us. I believe it can connect with all of us if we are willing and open to receive it. And to begin, though, I want to ask a question. I want to ask, have you ever made a friend in an unlikely way or in an unlikely place? Maybe you've been at, like, the grocery store and, and you were both really, really pumped at the chicken thighs were on sale. And, for, and you saw this person again the next week and you were really sad that the chicken thighs were not on sale. And a friendship's born. Well, I have one example. It's not that dramatic of an example necessarily, but the friendship that came out of it was dramatic. Uh, this isn't about when I met Meg and Mescalero, my wife Meg, though that's a great story as well, but I've told about that. It also sounds like a country song, Meg from Mescalero. I'm not going to sing it for you. Uh, <laughs> I'm impressed. I want to hear that. No, freshman year of college, my very first week at Grand Valley, you know that feeling where you are so anxious. Am I going to make friends? Am I going to meet people that I like? I went to Grand Valley with none of my classmates, and I am in my dorm. I have my door open as a sign of longingness that I want to make a friend, <laughs> and I'm in there in the first week, and I'm just like, I'm on high alert of anyone walking by or anyone talking in the hallway about something I might be interested in or whatever, and all of a sudden, this was this, the second day on campus, I hear this really loud noise like aggressively loud, like it sounded like a jet fighter loud, but it persisted. I was like, what is that? So I, 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 I get out of my little tiny dorm and I go in the hallway. I'm like, where's that coming from? I go down one door. No, not here. Another door, not there. Another door. Five doors down across the hall, there's another door open. Hey. And out of that was this loud noise. So I just kind of go and I just kind of peeked my head in and I met by a fella who, uh, this, imagine this is a toothbrush. He's brushing his teeth. The noise was a toothbrush. I was like, that is, and so I said to him what I was thinking, that is one loud toothbrush. And he, uh, he's holding it here. He turns it off and he just goes, yeah, it's a Sonicare. This message is brought to you by Sonicare. No, and, and I said, I, I, I said, my dentist told me about those. Those are serious. You actually bit the bullet. He goes, yeah, I did, and I'm never going back. And anyway, that was the beginning of a friendship. I would never tell you that my best friend all throughout my college years, where I got to stand in his wedding, he stood in my wedding, that it would have begun because of this aggressively loud toothbrush. And maybe you have friendships in your life where you've made a friend in an unlikely place or an unlikely way. For today's message, we're in our fifth week of our series called Before and After, where we're looking at individuals within Scripture whose lives have been transformed by the power of God. 
We're looking at who they were before, what happened, and who they are after. And the person we're looking at today is someone Charles Spurgeon called our Lord's last companion on earth and his first companion in heaven. We are talking about the thief on the cross. He is a man who became the friend of Jesus in the most unlikely place and in the most unlikely way. So just to help us catch up to where we are in the text, Jesus has gone now to the cross. It was his plan all along. He lived a perfect and blameless life. He endured countless suffering as he willingly chose all along the way the company of undeserved sinners. And out of many beautiful names and titles for our great God, uh, one that, if I'm allowed a favorite, I would say is my favorite title of God, is Jesus is a friend of sinners. I find something fascinating about that title, and it's who gave him that title, because the people who gave him that title were his enemies, and they called him a friend of sinners as an insult, but what it proved to be was a glorious and profound truth of our Savior. Sinners, after all, is why he came in the first place. As he says in Luke 5, it's not the healthy who needs a doctor, but the sick. I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And now he finds himself in his last hours of life. And what do we find? But once again, he's surrounded by sinners. Bless you. Blessings should come from the front. Who would you like to have surrounding you in the last moments of your life. Jesus Christ spent the last moments of his earthly life by two others upon their own crosses. And unlike Jesus, these two were in fact criminals. They were in fact guilty of their crimes. They were crimes severe enough to warrant crucifixion. Bless you. Again, allergy season. And I imagine Jesus, as much as he loves his disciples, as much as he loves his family, that he would much rather spend his last hours on this earth next to those who do not yet believe in him just for the chance that maybe, just maybe, they might come to believe because he came, after all, to call sinners to repentance. And so this is what we're looking at today. We're going to be in Luke chapter 23. We're going to start in verse 39, but this account is also found in Matthew. And to set it up, I want to read what it says in Matthew, and then we will springboard into our text for today, which will be Luke 23, 39 through 43. Hear now the true word of the Lord. Two rebels were crucified with Jesus, one on his right and one on his left. And the crowd insulted him. The chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him. And in the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. And picking up from Luke with verse 39. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, 
since you're under the same sentence? See, we are punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. (laughs) Thank God for the reading of his true word. Before Jesus, this man was upon the cross, he was completely lost. He had committed such horrible crimes that he was given the most severe punishment possible. Before Jesus, he had no hope. And as he struggles upon that cross, he, along with the other criminal, comes face to face with the universal reality that we all are helpless to save ourselves. They hang upon that cross, very slowly and painfully suffocating. Each breath labored, a desperate struggle, and they use what precious few last words they have left to mock Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who alone among them is innocent. See, Matthew made it clear both of them mocked and insults Jesus. Have you ever tried to talk when you're out of breath? Or maybe this this happens quite a bit at our place. You take a drink and it goes down the wrong pipe. And everyone around you is like, are you okay? Are you okay? And you just want to tell them you're okay, but it's really hard to tell them you're okay, right? It's hard to talk when that's going on. That's what it would have been like for these guys. In those moments, the last thing you want to do is talk, but these men felt so compelled in the moment to through pain mock Jesus. The first one mocks, aren't you the Messiah? Aren't you the Savior? Save yourself and save us. Which echoes what the chief priests and the teachers of the law say, as they did in verse 35. They said he saved others. Let him save himself if he's God's Messiah, the chosen one. Oh, and the soldiers in verse 37. If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself and also the passing crowd from matthew 27 you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days save yourself and even satan who's clearly at work here for in the desert if you are the son of god if you are the thieves mock him in the same way if you are the messiah save yourself and save us. And through their mocking, they stumble upon the profound truth that Jesus Christ alone is the one who saves. He's also the only one to ever walk this earth that actually can save himself. But if he did, he would have forsaken all of us. So instead, he offers himself up to save all who believe. The thieves were well aware that they were completely powerless to do anything. Completely and utterly hopeless. Have you ever experienced the crushing weight of hopelessness? It settles in 
and all hope is just drained. Your fragility and inability to do anything is in sharp focus. That's who all of us are outside of God. And in those times, you can either either choose to be mad at God or call on God. And here at Calvary, we see a shocking example of both. As their suffering continues, the text shows us again that the mocking continues. Only something has happened in one of these men. For his mocking of Jesus has now turned into rebuking his fellow sinner. It says in verse 40, but the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God? He said, since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve. Say deeds deserved. But this man has done nothing wrong. Say nothing wrong. The first man, in his helplessness, keeps his blame his anger on God, while the other, in his helplessness, turns to him and calls on him. Something has happened on that cross. Something to turn the man's heart from mocking to believing. And what we learn is what we see all throughout the Gospels. Being near Jesus brings transformation. Now a caveat is the heart has to be softened enough Jesus can and will transform anyone, but the heart has to be open to receiving it. Something happened in this man where he was transformed when he was in close proximity to Jesus. He is dying. He is in excruciating pain. He is ever aware of everything going on around him, how everyone is treating this man, Jesus, next to him, and how this Jesus is treating and responding and reacting to everything going on. Who is this man that attracts so much hatred? And I wonder if one moment in particular might have stood out to this man, because it is one of the most baffling and shocking things you could ever hear a man say as they have after being treated like Jesus had. But it profoundly reveals the heart of Jesus. Luke 23, 33-34, before, before all of this. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified Jesus there, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. that the love of Jesus on display or what? As his blood pours out, so does his mercy. His love for his people never wavered, even as they place him on the cross. As they beat him and mock them, Jesus says, forgive them. As they pound the nails in, forgive them. As they hoist him up, spit on him, sell his clothes, Forgive them. And the man next to him, having gone through the same physical pain of Jesus, could never fathom forgiving those who have done it. 
And yet, he hears and sees Jesus, and something in him changes, and he believes. Because only the true king can be so good. Only the Savior could be so merciful to even think of and pray on behalf of those who kill him over and above his own pain. That is the power of Jesus. And then this man, captivated with awe and reverence and belief, says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. And there you see Jesus Christ is indeed a friend of sinners because only through Jesus are sinners saved and given a new lot in life, a new identity. For the man to even request Jesus to remember him and enter into the kingdom is to profess and believe that Jesus Christ is king. His kingdom is not of this earth, and he knows with profound reality, Jesus is going to die. As the Gospel of John tells us, Jesus indeed did die before the thieves on the cross. But he knows enough to believe, to believe that his kingdom stands. And so when you, the right king, enter your kingdom, remember me. The man believed where the teachers of the law did not. The man believed when the crowds did not. The man believed when the disciples did not. And Jesus grants him the gift of life mere moments before his death. The man who woke up with a death sentence and died with the guarantee of everlasting life. And that is the same for each and every one of us who call on the name of Jesus. You are never too far gone for Jesus to pull you to him and to save you. There is no sin too great that Jesus cannot take it away. There is always hope in Jesus. Think about the man's after before and after. His after on this earth, incredibly short. But now he has something he didn't have before. He has hope. Even as he is on a cross, he has hope. Even as the darkness comes over the land in the middle of the day for three hours, he has hope. Even when Jesus cries out and breathes his last and the earth trembles, he has hope. And until he takes his own last breath and he joins Jesus in the promised paradise, he has hope and that hope is fulfilled. The death of Jesus, as it says in Romans 6, is enough to pay for the debt of all of our sins. All of our sins. So there is always we know there's nothing we can do to ever earn the gift of salvation. It is granted through Christ alone. Without him, we are completely and utterly helpless. 
but with him there is always hope. We can never settle our debt or lessen our debt. The man on the cross is all of us outside of Jesus. But like that man, we simply say, remember me. We believe in him. We put our faith in him, and he sets us free. That is the gospel. That is the good news that we believe. Jesus stands between, or he is on the cross between two men. One represents freedom, and the other represents suffering. And standing in the gap between them is Jesus Christ, the only one who delivers us from helplessness to hopefulness, from death into life. The salvation this man receives is a door of hope for each and every one of us. If this man, in his final breaths of his life, has a chance, and so do we, so do you. If he can become Jesus' friend, then so can we. This encounter shows us that there is hope for you and me and for every single person you will ever meet. I know you all have people you have been praying for and praying for and praying for for your entire life. And it's probably really easy for you, like me, to say there's no hope. I know there's hope, but I don't really feel the, the hope. It feels like they're a lost cause. Or maybe you're sitting here today and you're hearing all of this and it sounds really compelling and, 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 and transformative and what you want, but you yourself say, but I'm a bit of a lost cause. I'm here to tell you today, there are no lost causes when it comes to Christ. In fact, the cause of Christ was to save the lost. His cause was the lost. There are no lost causes. You need hope? You can find it. It's never too late to turn to Jesus until you miss your chance. So don't wait. Don't wait. You need hope? It's found in Jesus. You feel helpless? Call on Jesus. Are you surrounded by darkness? Find the light in Jesus. You can't find your footing as this earth trembles beneath you? Ground yourself in the solid rock and the firm foundation of Jesus. And when you breathe your last, you come to the end of your days, your hope will be fulfilled as you come face to face with your friend, Jesus Christ. That is the eternal and everlasting hope we all have, we all profess, and we all long to share in and through this place. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. People of God, let's respond to God in prayer. Pray with me, please. Oh, Lord God, thank you for who you are, for your salvation, for your gift of life that is found in you alone. Thank you for your true word, for the ways that you remember that man upon the cross and now we all remember him and find hope in what you did through his life. 
God, each one of us here is in desperate need of you today. And Lord, we know you never waste an opportunity. You're dying on the cross and you are bringing people from death to life even before you did it for all. So we thank you. For those in our lives, Lord, who don't yet know you, that you know are firmly imprinted on our hearts, we offer them again to you here and now, saying that we believe there are no lost causes, but there is a life found in you alone. You raise the dead to life. You can do anything. You can do it in their lives. So we offer them up in the name of Jesus again to you today. And for those here today, Lord, who feel like we might ourselves be lost causes and we're feeling the burden and the weight of our sin, we say that your cause was the lost. And that if you can love us so deeply to forgive the very ones who put you on that cross, to forgive us who put you on that cross, that there is nothing you're not willing to do to draw people closer to you. So God, we say we believe. We lay down our sin and we pick up our new life in Christ. God, we do not want to waste this short life you have given us. So with every breath that you have filled in our lungs, may we use it to speak the truth of Jesus, to profess your goodness and your holiness and salvation that's in you, so that when we get to heaven, Lord, and we join in singing with all angels and all saints the hymn of heaven, that they are not unfamiliar words, but they have been our marching beat throughout our life. We long for your name to be made known, for the lost to be found. So may your kingdom come and break through in profound ways in and through us here and now, God. We pray this all in the death-defying, powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.